Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. I'm your host, Bart Almond. Over the last 30 years or so, I've worked for major record companies, working with major artists such as Alabama, the Dixie Chicks, and Florida Georgia Line. I've also been writing songs for the past 15 years, have over 50 cuts, two number ones, and made a lot of friends along the way. I'm going to be talking to some of those friends about songs, life on the road, and just life in general. I hope you have as much fun as I will. Adrian Michaels is not only a great drummer and one of the funniest cats around, he's worked his way up through the ranks of record companies here in Nashville to become Senior VP at BMG Music. We go back about 20 or 25 years and just might get into some of that, and he might sound a little tired, but he'll explain why. I love this guy. Here's Adrian Michaels. All right. Thinking and drinking, Adrian Michaels. How are you, man? I am rocking. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. It's really good to see you, man. Thank you for doing this. I had a day where I could beat you with the beard, and (laughs) your beard is unbeatable now. Yeah, that is is a beard's beard. Well, I I did find out that now that it's on my carry permit, my driver's license, my passport, it, it's, I didn't think it through is what I'm trying to say. I, I, uh, <laughs> you get attached to them, man. I think I started my beard on no shave November oh, in yeah. like 2018 and just man. kept it going. Yeah. Somebody said, uh, what's it take to grow a beard like that? I said, a wife that doesn't care. There you go. Exactly. My wife likes me to do dumb shit and weird crops <laughs> and like anything that'll make anybody just be like, have nothing to do with me. It's exactly. easier for her. She's going, yep, that's my that, hobby. That beard, yeah, that's a good look. You go do that. <laughs> hey, my wife wants me to hide as much of my own face as I can. So I got that. Holy crap. It's dark in here. Well, man, uh, what have you and your lovely bride, Kim, been doing during the COVID lockdown? Uh, We just celebrated our 32nd wedding anniversary. Wow. And um, with work, they turned our cards off. We can't get it. I got this brand new shiny office with taking the new role over at EMG, and they locked the building up. And they said... You, you know, work from home where you've got Wi-Fi and cellular. And I was like, well, can I work from anywhere with Wi-Fi and cellular? And they said, sure. So we dumped a car, bought a trailer, got a hitch, learned how to hook it up. And we literally spent the last almost four months going from the top of Route Highway 1, I guess. We went to Bar Harbor, Maine, right at the Canadian border. Okay. Top, and then drove all of one so we did all of new england in the fall wow. we did cape cod we lived down that way for a while went out to nantucket visited with espo out in nantucket um lived in the outer banks for a while Gosh. we came home for two days to check the mail and make sure our house was here and then made our way down uh to florida all the way so one starts at the top of right at the canadian border and ends at the southernmost point at Key West. Key West. So we went all the way down there and toasted a little sunset and traveled the entire one. Dang. The snow heals. Well, once the snow quits, we will uh, do kind of the Griswolds thing where we'll go up through Yellowstone and Badlands. But 
I am taking advantage of the first time in my life I'm not out on tour. Yeah. I don't have to be in an office. And we have been playing executive nomads. We've Dude. literally worked from every city and explore and go. And it's made it. Uh, we also, it sounds bad for me to say it if I don't put this sub note in there. We have social distance. I mean, it is like yeah. literally doing state parks, living on our own little traveling bubble. And uh, it's been awesome. I've had time. I am very, very fortunate that my job allows me to work on a computer and the phone. Yeah. Well, I, don't, I mean, there's so many guys that have kids that are going like, dude, I'll never have this time again with my four-year-old or whatever. It's like, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you got to make the best of it. It ain't going away by, you know, next week or anything. So. Here so we yeah, are. so that's what we. Uh, that's so amazing. now we're home. It's a really, really busy season, and I couldn't. Literally on the road, the Wi-Fi is hit or miss. I was having. I remember pulling into a little town <laughs> in in upstate New York somewhere, and I said, "Man, where do you guys have like an internet cafe or something? I've got a bunch uh-huh. of Zoom meetings today." And the guy goes, "Man, you just got to go to Dunkin' Donuts and sit in the parking lot close to the back wall, and you'll you can get there high speed internet." And I was like. That's how we get high-speed internet out here. And right. that's so, I would go in the mornings and drive into town and sit by libraries and donut shops to be able to work. <laughs> but we did it from some fun places. Well, the coolest thing about sitting by Dunkin', at least you can go in and get a nice cup of coffee. Oh, that fat kid? Come on, they tell the fat kid you can get internet at the donut <laughs> shop? I'm like, fuck yeah, sign me up. <laughs> I'll take my usual, please. Yes. Man. So when you said trailer, you're talking about a camper, camping trailer. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, but a little guy. I never do that. I'm, I'm the guy that can't back a U-Haul up. So it oh, was dude. a morning. So we started small. We got a 20-foot trailer, but it's got a full queen-size bed, a full kitchen, a full bathroom in it. And we took everything from outdoor equipment for hiking in New England to scuba gear. So, I mean, it was me, my wife, the dog – and everything we own crammed in there, including a kayak. A kayak? Yeah. <laughs> well, you never know. No, you didn't. I thought I'd have to, like, strap it on or do something. And like, oh, no, man, just put it in the inside. You're not in there. So, you know, when yeah. you travel, just get it in there. So, that's a good yeah. point. Well, man, that is, that's an awesome story, dude. That's fantastic. I hope you filmed a lot of that because that would be. You did get a lot of it, yeah. That's killer. Well, you were born in the Cleveland area, correct? No, I was born in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh? Why did I think? Cats and dogs, man. I I grew up. I spent, I I met Kim in Cleveland. Okay. I spent about 10 years there and have some great friends and was playing in bands in that area. But now I was born in Pittsburgh, lived there till I was four, then raised in Queens, New York until like inner city Queens till I was 16. Dang. Then moved out to Ohio. So do you have any good musical memories of Pittsburgh and Queens? Or probably not Pittsburgh, but Queens? Musically, everything was Cleveland. Lots of great stuff. I mean, got to hang out and play with Trent Reznor and his formative years of playing in cover bands and playing Duran Duran and uh Aha before – he invented an entire genre. God, no kidding. Uh, yeah, Cleveland was a great place. I mean, like, 
Well, I was thinking about how many people were complaining about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame going in there, but if you think about it, it's Joe Walsh, Nine Inch Nails, Tracy Chapman, Filter, Dead Boys, James Gang, Michael Stanley, Chimera, Adrian Michaels. I mean... Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was the worst of uh, right. any of that. Yeah, you slamming drummer. With Jimmy Zero. So from the Dead Boys, I got to do gigs with Jimmy Zero Man. and got to play on stage with Trent Reznor and... Uh, but, man, there was a lot of great players from Cleveland. Yeah. Paul Sedoti is out on the road with Taylor. Oh, yeah. Smith. Yep. Another friend of mine, Jimmy Clark, was out with Joan Jett. Uh, man, he was Lars from Metallica's drum roadie. And then went out. I mean, he, uh, he's one of the best drummers I've ever met but uh so he's been out with metallica paul's out with taylor there's just yeah there's a lot you mentioned you know joe walsh um it was a great great musical city man, man. People, little tommy bukovac little tommy bukovac who's on every record <laughs> that we get every other song you play on the radio is yes. i actually ran a guitar contest in cleveland called guitar wars which uh, where you kind of played each other one off. You've seen the movie. I stole it from the movie. I can't remember. Crossroads. Oh, Crossroads. Yeah. With Steve Vai. Yeah. I was oh, running a record store at the time before there was guitar setters and uh, got Hamer to sponsor it and some stuff. But Tom Bukovac actually won the trophy one year there. And with all of his Grammys and awards and everything he wins. I was at his house one time and he had this little plastic statue, which was all we could afford that said like guitar wars winner and the year. And I was like, Holy crap. It's on his shelf with his other awards. He may have won more awards and finally retired that one. But uh, there was a time when it was right there on the shelf. That's awesome, man. Well, besides all the players, I mean, Steve Popovich had Cleveland International. He signed putting Meatloaf bad out of hell out there. Is that kind of a little bit of what kind of maybe got you looking more towards music business and maybe not quite as much as being a musician? Oh, yeah. I was – I managed a band called Zaza, which was just a local Oh, yeah. Neil Zaza. Yeah, Neil Zaza. They were pulling like – Neil Zaza is actually the best man in me and Kim's wedding. Really? And to go even further, her and I were so friggin' broke, and I was playing in bands, had no credit. He actually signed on the loan so I can get the ring. So I am forever indebted or mad at Neil, however we look at the relationship. Um, But they were really close to getting a record deal, and I kept bothering Kid Leo from WMMS, the big rock station up there. And uh, he finally said, you know, if you keep doing this, I'll have you killed. But your options are, I could kill you, or I could turn you on to real record promoters that can teach you what to do. And Popovich was up that way, and Bill Catino was there, and Frank DeLeo, who went on to manage... uh, Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson and Mr. Big from Wayne's World there. I mean, Frank was yep. a legend. So uh, those guys helped me. And a guy by the name of Mike Minocchio learn the business side of this. So I was playing in bands and managing bands and emptying garbage cans and running errands, anything I could do to hang around. When I saw a guy sitting at a desk with his feet up on the desk with gold records everywhere yeah. and tickets to every show, 
And all he had to do was talk on the phone. I was like, my guidance counselor sucked. I didn't even know <laughs> this was an option. I mean, this is how I'm going to live. And uh, I literally started working for free every day in the offices while going to school and playing in bands, doing everything else. And uh, they taught me the trade. Man. So you came down here. Did you ever think that uh, L.A. or New York were ever an option, or were you always coming to Nashville? No, I was never coming to Nashville. I oh, okay. Had, I had big old giant stacked platinum blonde hair and leather pants, and I never – when the country band asked me to represent them, I was – they liked what I was doing in the rock world with bands. I said, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I don't know – I mean, I know who Willie Nelson is, but don't know a song. <laughs> if you want me to manage you – you have to go to the store and buy me the top like 20 records of whoever's popular right now. And I need to play them and listen and check it out. And they came back and did that. And and I studied the liner notes of who the attorney was, who the VP was, who Mm -hmm. the record label was and made this little grid that showed me here's who I have to know to get things done in Nashville and got them a record deal when I was about 25. And that kind of began my path down here. So you never really thought about, I mean, you, you were either going to do that or stay in Cleveland or were you thinking New York it or LA? Was never, yeah, until I managed the country band, got yeah. them a deal. Here I am, I'm 25 years old and I got a band signed to Capitol Records with Jimmy Bowen and I'm managing a band, you know. We went on to do things together with them together. So, yep. I mean, that's what, I, I fell in love with this city. Yeah. But, it took me a couple of years of transitioning. We used to, we would come down here and sleep six guys to one room. One of the guys had a little toolkit. He would take the heater apart in the middle of the night, call the manager and tell him there's no heat so we could get the room for free. I mean, it was like, we were scrapping. We got, we, we had no money. We were, we were very, it was, it was a great time. It's probably some of the most fun times. Yeah. <clears throat> probably wouldn't want to do it now then me and you met once i got established down here yeah. and we both kind of reinvented that band yeah that was, that a, was it ended up kid being Lonesome. kid lonesome yeah man well i and think we, you I, we got a new deal on warner yep i think you tried to get tom bukovac maybe to play in that band we did try to get to, we yeah. told Tom, dude come on we're signed to a record label you need this you're wasting your time he was playing with winona judd i yeah. think Yep. Playing with Winona and doing a little bit of session work. And then he's grown to be one, probably what the number one guy, him and Kenny yeah. down yeah. here on guitar. So. Yeah, I would, I would definitely say that. Well, what got you, okay. That was third coast entertainment. What got you to your, to your next gig? I think it was curb. Is that correct? RCA. RCA. Okay. Yeah. I, I know we ended up kind of letting that business go. I mean, you were working way harder than I was. <laughs> I don't think it goes that way. Everybody knew you and nobody knew me. It was a wonderful trade-off. <laughs> yeah, no. and, you know, I think my wife came up the term. She said, Bart gives the best phone of any man on the planet. So when you're on, you are on. Um, I learned a lot working with you. But I had an opportunity to go to RCA, and they moved me to Texas. Yes. In the Texas Regional, which was 
odd. I didn't know what side of the cow you feed and what side crap. I mean, I, I knew nothing about Texas. That was, that was, that was crazy. I think I may have playfully given you some bad advice about Jogalani. Um, um, well, I mean, I don't know if we call it bad advice. Joe, <laughs> Joe has turned out, Joe is one of my favorite. Joe has been a life mentor. Oh, dude. Board member on things I do. He's like a, the, my, uh, my guardian angel. Uh, I in love this, that guy. Uh, keeps, uh, so, uh, yeah, but Joe was a tough dude. Let's face it. People, yeah. people would pee themselves if they got called to his office. Yeah. Yeah, I just no. I think I remember telling you there's a girl down there who's going to come to shows and tell you she's Jogalani's daughter. Whatever oh, you do, oh, don't let did her. Tell me that. Yes, <laughs> yeah. she did. It actually was Jogalani's daughter. <laughs> oh, please forgive me. I don't know that I've ever said I'm sorry for that, but I owe you a big apology. So, right, right. thank you for the. And you did. You did tell me that. <laughs> and I remember one time in New York. I went to New York and met there. We became somewhat friendly. I got the friends would be a big term, but I was running around on uh, little Italy mm. and getting a cocktail and some pasta or something. And everybody's like, dude, Joe Galani's going to have you killed if he finds out that you're with his daughter in little Italy. So <laughs> now I just wave at her. Yeah. <laughs> well, you obviously worked your way up. I mean, when, okay. RCA, then, then you went to curb. Uh, yeah, no, well, RCA for years, like seven, eight years, and I found Tommy Shane Steiner. Oh, yeah. While I was down in Texas and got Joe Galante to sign him and Renee Bell over at RCA. And while he was hunting for management, he wound up making a horrible decision and picked me. So I had to go to Joe and Renee and say, hey, would you mind if I left the company to manage the artists that I found? And they let me work there until the day we released the single so there wouldn't be a conflict of interest. Wow. And then I managed Tommy for, uh, that's probably about two years, I think. They do single one. What if she's an angel? What if she's an angel? Yeah. Yeah, I, I still see uh, his brother, Sid, on bull riding shows and stuff. Oh, yeah. So, dude, that, that, was, that was some really, really fun times. The Steiner family was – Yeah. They were like – that's like the Kennedys of New England was the Steiners. They had a 10,000-acre ranch or more. Um, it was just a, a crazy – you know, it was the true Texas rancher lifestyle. So – I was representing Tommy musically and then Sid wanted somebody to handle his endorsements. Uh, and he had just won the world championship. So he won his buckle. His dad is an NFR bull riding champion. Sid was crazier than that. He threw himself off of horses and was bulldogging. Uh, and I think Rocker Steiner now, Sid's kid, is a bareback. He rides bareback and also is a competitive wakeboarder. His name is Rocker? Rocker Steiner. I yeah. like that. But Didn't Sid, Sid go by Sid Vicious when he was riding bulls? There, there's so many great stories. Yeah, <laughs> Sid used to rip off his shirt, and underneath it, he would have under He would come out in a Versace shirt. Like, everybody else is all in starched, you know, collared shirts. And he'd come out in a Versace shirt and rip the shirt off, and the crowd would go crazy. 
And he told me this story that the head of the NFR used to fine him $10,000 for doing it. And the, on his final ride going for the championship, um, the guy that ran it was probably in his 70s. I wish I knew my history better to remember this, but he looked at Sid and he said, son, go get ignorant. And Sid said, sir? And he said, get ignorant. They love it. And he said, but that's going to cost me $10,000. And the guy goes, I'll split it with you. <laughs> and Sid went out, did his ride, ripped the shirt off, place went nuts. Actually, I was with somebody that knew that I was there with Sid that knew the people from Under Armour. And as he won the award and just did that, under they handed me the phone, and the guy from Under Armour is like, we'll give you an endorsement for whatever the money was at the time and picked up an Under Armour endorsement years ago. <laughs> So Sid, that whole family, that was, that was a great experience. That's amazing, man. So after, after Tommy Shane, then you went to Curve. Yeah. Um, you, didn't, you didn't go as a regional, though, correct? No, um, I think I did at first. Oh, you did? Um, oh, yeah. I think okay. uh, at that point, Tom, Tommy had lost a deal and was just in transition, and I had no way to feed me or Kim. And I picked up a phone and called some friends and said, I need a job. And uh, I think April Ryder at Curb at the time said, don't take another phone call. I'll call you back in an hour. And she made a position available. Man. <laughs> but I had gotten April my first job in town when she was coming in from uh, somewhere in the Illinois, or I can't remember where she was coming, Indiana. Oh, yeah. When I worked for Skip Stevens, so when I left Skip to go work with you, I got April that gig. So we yeah. kind of karma paid each hey, other. Man. I always think that there's room enough for everybody. It's and and that that's the kind of that's a great lesson because it all comes back around. Oh yeah, Nashville is. Uh, I like to say it's a really big pond, but it's only an inch deep. <laughs> 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 that's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, you started, I mean, you have been, to my way of thinking, one of the inventors. I mean, you're always a life of the party guy. You're always the first one to get there and the last guy to leave. But you're always, you have deservedly a great represent, reputation as a really inventive guy when it comes to technology and building a better mousetrap and finding a better way to do things. Where does that come from? Are you just so naturally curious that you just dive in, even though the water is an inch deep, and just find a new way to yeah. do stuff? Yeah, my my father, like we grew up really poor. I was born in Pittsburgh. My family all worked in the steel mill and mm. come from a really, really poor family. Everybody, for the most part, worked in the steel mill. My father went from that to taking a lesson on how to fix toasters and small electronic things and from that became a car mechanic and from that studied and became an airline mechanic and then aeronautics and um and it started like literally he went from a toaster to the planes that people fly on and somehow he probably whatever drove that is probably somewhere in my dna I, yeah love to take shit apart figure out how it works and go well, we can make that go faster yeah. And I think also one of the things I always liked about you is 
you would come up with an idea and, and someone would go, is it going to work? You were never afraid to go, I don't know. Well, let's try it. Well, hell, me and you built one of the first systems with that Borchetta picked up for MC. I mean, we, yeah. you and me with Third Coast had the first, I think they called it a triple cast, right? We had Vince right. Gill at the Opry playing at the Opry lot. And so he was on the radio, he was on TV and we got it to stream somehow on the internet with the coders we were using. Yeah. And then we built the first real website for a major label. I remember it was like some funky jukebox was yep. the, the, the uh, entryway to, to that. But uh, yeah, that's crazy. Uh, and, and we got a note from Al Gore at the time. Oh, I don't even remember that. Who said he invented the internet then. <laughs> and I remember being him being from Tennessee. Me and you got a note from Al Gore's office for our innovation at the time. Dang. That's crazy. Did you even remember that? I don't remember the note. Uh-uh. Yeah. I wish I could find it. I don't know where it is. I kept going. I wonder if Bart has the note. But now that you said that, you Boy, mustn't have I don't think so. I'm still in the same house, so I would have I would have crossed that at I some point. I could have left it at a bar somewhere back then. Let's face it. It's probably at the old Nashville Country Club. Yes. Right under a, right under a martini glass of Southern Comfort. There you go. <laughs> well, so thank what? you for the comments. Oh shoot, man. All 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 true and all earned. So what, what would you say your strengths as a, as a promo guy are outside of you're such a hard worker, you're such a hustler? I mean, you also have such – you give great fun, dude. <laughs> I learned – that I learned – I really did learn most of my – my phone technique was a mixture of Skip Stevens when I first talked myself into the gig. They're like – you make up all these, they weren't lies. I worked with all those people we talked about in Cleveland in some yeah. way or another of them helping me. They're all on my resume. And then you get the day where you get a job and somebody's like, here you go. You got to sit at the desk and go get these records played. And listening to Skip was kind of a kid from Queens that talked a hundred miles an hour. Yeah. Skip was like, well, bud, <laughs> I'm down here in Mississippi. This is, you know, and, he added years to my life of slowing me down, and then you taught me to be funnier. But uh, my strength, I don't know, work. I work. Yeah. You have such a background in music, I would think that has to help. In your current job or in any of the other jobs, if you can say, are you, do you help pick singles? Uh, it depends on which company I've been with mm -hmm. and some of the companies you had a lot of say, some you have, you know, at Warner Brothers, for instance, nobody has say at all, except oh, they, yeah. they right. don't ask any of, and, uh, and Esposito had a saying that he said, uh, at least I know who to shoot. <laughs> he said, if I ask everybody, then it gets confusing. But if I just say these people here, pick the single and you go work it. Um, so, you know, that works, but there's, you know, Galante used to, I remember, send the music out to everybody from, from the, everybody, A&R, yeah. promo team, right down to Bobby Gropp, you know, the, oh, who man. ran the building, yep. and he would say, I want everybody to listen to this album over the weekend, and come back and tell me, what do you think, what should the singles be, pick three of them, and put them in a sequence, and he took, mm. he probably went through everybody's stuff, and yeah. 
he knew where he wanted to go, but that was interesting. I don't know if either theory works better or worse. But Yeah, I, I, I think on any given day, the same song that is a hit today may not be a hit tomorrow. And it's just, yeah, man, I, that's part of the, the business. I don't, I don't miss. Cause I, I just, I, when I, once I finally figured out, I couldn't figure it out. Well, you've written them. Like you said, you don't know the <laughs> ones that you're going to write that there's songs that I've been around. I'm just like, this is the greatest song ever. Yeah. And I can't get it on a chart, you know? And then there's some yeah. you just, you don't hear. I'll say this and I'll, I'll I don't know why I would admit this on a podcast, but when I first got the Dixie Chicks album, I was just like, it's okay. This is, this is all right. Yeah. You know? And, and then it was like, that was the greatest record that came out. And I loved every single song like passionately, but sometimes you just don't hear things. Did I, the day we got handed the Dixie Chicks, I went home and I sat on the couch and I teared up because it's like my, this is our first band and it's, it's almost all acoustic. It's the band is called the Dixie Chicks. Come on. Like like you say, we had no idea. And you guys were huge with that. Yeah. I miss, I still miss Dixie Chicks. Me too. I think well, they're doing back to your, your question to answer like firmly yeah. a good answer of my strength. Dude, I have to work hard. I mean, I'm a, I've always been the small guy, the fat guy, the poor guy that there's just been, I've had no option, but to wake up earlier than other people and just work hard. If I don't work harder than other people, it wasn't coming. So I I, I think my work ethic and drive is my best asset. That's awesome, man. That that's also gets me in trouble. You know, that's what keeps me always looking for something. You know, there's always (laughs) something to search out after. Like I have friends that have done the same thing for 40 years, happy as shit. I yep. go crazy. I think my job, I always think somebody's going to move my cheese if I sit in a chair. It's like, if go and miss it. <laughs> I better have another piece of cheese in my pocket. That was my favorite cheese. Yes. Well, you are currently the VP of Innovation Radio and Streaming at yes. Stony Creek with BMG. And yep. I know this isn't fair to ask you because of, where we are in COVID, but like, I know there's no average days, but what would an average day be if you were, if this wasn't happening, if you were in the office, on the road, on tour, all that? An average day. I mean, the no matter what my title is, no matter where I'm at, if somebody is generally hiring you or made to a gig, they expect us to get airplay. So mm-hmm. I mean, they can call me president if they want, but they actually brought me over there to go get records played. So really the base of my job is to break new artists and to get airplay. Innovations in the beginning of my talk, because I've been doing that for 30 years, and a couple years ago I started dabbling in building mobile apps and had built out an app called Bandazzle, and I was fascinated with the gaming world of how hmm. I'm in the broadcasting world. You know? So broadcasting, they're taking a commercial and just throwing it everywhere and hoping people like it. The gaming world is microcasting. It is just, hmm. if you're marketing in that, you're going to a dashboard and you're saying, I want every kid 18 to 24 that likes Metallica, a concert, has commented on this. And you, you look at specific 
micro targets that you're hitting. And I, and I love that. So part of what I'm doing with BMG is working to change how we break records as, as radio chains are changing in that. Hmm. Um, it's really, really an amazing thing. We are doing five shows a day, five days a week, five weeks. We're doing 125 separate shows for radio. I mean, it is high definition video and sound. And uh, that was my first gig here was how are we going to radio tour and act if yeah. you can't go to places. And Man. most people were doing the face, you know, they were zooming with their phone on a kitchen table and their yeah. guitar. Uh, I believe we're in show business and you've got to be bigger, yep. brighter. You've got to bring your content is everything that matters. So we're bringing a really, really high end product to radio right now during COVID. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I'm always interested in how do you break an act when you can't take the artist to the radio station and the artist can't do shows. Well, you found a way to do both of those things in a really high, high output way. That's awesome, man. You know, you can't just say it's COVID, we're just going to phone this in. I, that right. mean, I wasn't being funny. No, no, no. But, but legitimately, that worked for about two weeks. And then radio is like, there's nothing worse than hearing somebody with really poor oh, sound and video and no, you know, perspective or show business to it. So yeah, you, there's always a way, man. There's got to be a way. There's people tried all kinds of tricks out there. Shy Carter was out taking buses to people's houses and putting up a safety net around it. So they can't get within six feet and playing for people in their front yard. I mean, um, I think our way is working really, really well. I mean, Elby's, top 40 right now and the band that I'm launching track 45, we don't go for ads oh, yeah. for five weeks, but we've got more ads in our first two weeks of doing this than most new acts have gotten in six months. Man. And we still have a month to go until we release. So it's working. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, you're that you're also kind of then, I mean, it seems that an artist has to have such a social media presence, TikTok, YouTube, and everything else, uh, maybe even have a record done before they can get a record deal. Is that kind of the norm, or are you guys really finding ground-level artists and A&Ring them and finding songs and doing all of that? And that's more of an A&R question, but I yeah. can say from my time, you know, at, well, I mean, what I've got Sony Kerber. It's definitely changed from what it used to be. You can't. Most people aren't just taking somebody that sounds good and going, right. "Man, I'm going to find them their songs and I'm going to do this." Not that there's not people doing that, and they are. It's just there are people out there completely building their careers yep. that all they need to do is get strapped to a rocket, and you know now <laughs> that. Every A&R person is looking at the exact same metrics. Everybody can yeah. go on the computer and look and see what's blowing up at Spotify that's not signed or what is the TikTok sensation. So everybody's chasing the same fish and it's driving the price up to do that. So I think you need a balance. You need to find something you believe in and you let it grow and find its place. But what seems to move the fastest is whatever actually has a consumption story out there and is already connecting. Cause now, you, mm. now there's no way you don't have to wonder, man. Right. You, 
you just pull up the data, you look at the metrics, and you go, this kid from Oklahoma is moving 10 times the amount of records as the act that we just put a million dollars in, and he's doing it himself. There's got to be there. And then it's almost probably like high school or, I mean, college football recruiting. Everybody's knocking <laughs> on his door going, hey, you the guy that sings this song? Is, and I- so, so the answer is it is a mix, but I think anybody – would prefer and that's me being very like i'm generalizing and guessing sure sure who, who wouldn't want something that's already they know who they are they know who they're singing to they know the message is resonating and they're consuming i'd pick that kid every time absolutely yeah i remember uh at a label that i worked at in a staff meeting we're talking about artist development and i said looking in the mirror. I said, to me, artist development is, hey, Bart, shave that beard, lose some (laughs) weight, and let's put a record out. And I go, if that person doesn't come in there knowing what kind of singer they are, knowing how they want to be portrayed, maybe they physically or financially can't do that themselves, okay, we can help that as a record company. But if that artist doesn't know who they are, I don't think we should be developing them. And I was shown the door immediately. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that's the best advice you give to any artist, like especially now there's a great book by Seth Godin called tribes. And in the book by it, it taught me the most, I think about current trends and the book's not all that current, but what it talked about was, you used to be able to be everything to everybody. Mm-hmm. You, made a, you made a song that was universal, and if it was good, you got signed, and then you jumped on the chart, then CMT started to play your video, and then you jumped on a tour, and then Walmart knew exactly how many CDs to order yeah. from where you were with their algorithm to get your shit in the store, and everything worked. Yeah. Then we started to get too many TV stations, too many radio stations, too many outlets. Everything has fragmented. And the theory from tribes is that if you are trying to be everything to everybody, you don't really build a tribe. Like They believe sing what you want to sing that resonates with a certain crowd. And if it's really good, they tell other people. Mm. And your, your little tribe grows and grows and grows. And that that is a better plan when you have the amount of options to be heard and, and seen at. So I really believe what makes Taylor Swift Taylor Swift was she knew exactly who she was singing to. Yep. She sang songs that those kids were feeling when they were feeling it, and she's grown up with them to Absolutely. you know deliver songs that they're still in. Um, Kenny Chesney once said his magic is, I know who my audience is, and my audience knows who I am. Hmm. And I was in between Taylor and where she's focused and Kenny, like to me, that's the best thing. Know who you are. Yeah. Singing a really good song doesn't do anything if it doesn't resonate with people. And you can't BS a million people into buying a record. Not anymore. No. But I mean, if, if like, if you saw a guy that looks like me singing a Taylor Swift song from her first album, you would go, that, that just doesn't work. <laughs> right. You know? I don't want to be you're not my guy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. You're like, you're like R Kelly. 
<laughs> Why is the guy with the beard in here with all the 12 year olds? <laughs> stranger <laughs> danger, stranger He's danger. Smiling at us, stranger danger. Yes. <laughs> so, um, and, and, okay, now this is again, don't say anything if you can't say anything. The kid that you were describing theoretically out in Oklahoma that's selling more records, selling more tickets, selling more t shirts than the artists that you just signed a million or sign, put a million dollars in. Does that kid always need a record company for the whole enchilada or, or does it, does it need that to get more nationwide? I believe that we're seeing a time now where every deal being done on music row is different. It yeah. used to be pretty much every deal is the same. Here's the deal. Like right. you're lucky if you can negotiate a point or something, but yeah. Right now, you got people that are touring like crazy, and they'll give up a chunk of their touring, but not all. You get, uh, you know, there is every degree from zero to three sixty going on yeah. on Music Row, depending on where you find somebody in their cycle. Is it is that the same? I mean, you're all over musically format wise. Is that do you think that's the same in other formats Everywhere. as well? Oh, Everywhere, yeah. yeah. yeah I, oh yeah. And I think it's getting squeezed back to getting, you're going to have to see more development happen because I mentioned earlier, everybody gets the same data. Everybody's chasing the same thing that's breaking out. It makes for ridiculous deals. Well, not for the person that gets them. Congratulations. It's awesome. But as a sustainable business model, if all you're doing is chasing the brightest star all the time, you're, probably going to run out of money. <laughs> uh, I just, I, I believe so. That's not, I'm not the one making that call at the company. And I really do with all of the labels. I, I really see a very big mixture, but I don't see many. The kid sounds great. Let's start from scratch. Yeah. Find his song. It's happening. I'm sure it's happening in my own building. Well, I mean, I, I, <laughs> probably pay attention more to rock stuff, but also in, in town, I mean, every kid that has a laptop all of a sudden thinks he's a producer. Oh, yeah. And they're making really good sounding, really good sounding music. It may not be great songs or whatever, but but you can deliver a, a quote-unquote demo right on your laptop. And so that that development, I think these kids are doing more of that development also in their in their bedrooms or writing with other people. Um, well, you you do the writing. What is the like when they put the track guy in the room for the writing? What's is that? Is that the ter- the correct term? Of, yes. I remember. Oh man, I'm going to screw up his name because I just don't live enough in the creative world, and that's a bad thing when you love music. But the first time I met one of the guys that you go in and you write with, you know, you have. He wasn't even known yet, but he played guitar, piano, everything, computer. Everybody would be writing, and this guy would be chopping it all up. Making, they'd go to lunch, come back, and it was already done. Yeah. And then I find out that kid is on 15 number one records last yeah. year, and it keeps growing. But, um, yeah, I mean, you can make great stuff Yeah, computer right now. I don't know. I got lost on that thought of where all to go on – uh, but yeah, once you mentioned computer, there, there's a lot of room for people that can play multiple things. Oh man, I I, I think that studios have got to be scared. I think that um, I mean, just I'm talking to you, you were able, thankfully, to do this great job from a 
trailer and, and everything. I mean, are we, once record companies figure out that they don't, that you guys are doing great work from home and they're not spending a quarter of a million dollars a month in rent, are they going to, is it going to stay like this? I mean, obviously the camaraderie is just not there. It's not going to happen to walk down the hall and go, Hey dude, I got this idea. That's not going to happen. So do you think they'll bring everybody back in? Reading up on like trends and future predictions is some of my favorite things in the world. So I am not a futurist or a trend analyst, but I believe we are going to see a huge mess with commercial real estate. Oh, dude. Not just the music business, everywhere. Everywhere. Let's just find out that people, but I think it needs to be hybrid. There needs to be a balance. You know, I don't think you're going to see everybody leave all of their employees at home. A lot of people need for sanity's sake to get out and do it. But one, if pandemic is terrible, we're suffering through it, we're doing our, our, you know, everything we can to survive. But at the same time, we're learning, there's some better practices. Yeah. Uh, when I was doing the app business, I had to hire lots of coders and I'd be calling this dude and he worked when he wanted to from what he'd be in Israel doing something. And then you wouldn't hear from him a week and he'd pop up and he'd be in Ireland. And then from there he'd be in Singapore. The, the, he would just go stay at hostels and where like just traveled. All, all that person needed was a high powered laptop and their cell phone. Yeah. And they had no other routes and everything they need to do with coding. And it, it didn't matter where they were at. It was, it really, I always, that's the first time I heard the term nomadic executive. And mm. I was like, man, I don't have to wait till I'm 70 and retired and broke down more than I am now to go see the world. It's, yeah. I love the freedom that comes with that. Dude, you can, you can enjoy it. Enjoy your time while you still can. Yeah, I think we, we shifted this hard. We'll overshift back a little bit. Yeah. But we'll find a happy spot from what we've learned with this. Well, you've, you've worked with so many bands and managers, and I'm not going to ask you who you didn't <laughs> like working with, but who were some of your best bands and best managers, and why, why do you think they were some of your favorites? That is, that's like making somebody pick a kid. You oh, I know. I love, I, I could say that my favorite part of this business is breaking a new artist. Yeah. There is like, so like recently having launched Ingrid Andrus and Devin Dawson and Michael Ray, and I launched yeah. Lee Bryce before that. And like when I say launch, everybody's involved in a launch. It's a team, it's a building, but I'm the lucky guy that starts literally with Lee Bryce and the Ford Taurus and me yep. driving to Oklahoma. Like, what are we going to do? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I'll bullshit you sing and let's see how this works, you know? Um, Seeing an artist go from zero to getting a hit is great. Being there the first day an artist gets a bus is uh, it's like somebody having a child. It is the greatest thing. And the first time somebody plays on a big tour, um, I won't lie working. I had the, the honor to work with Kenny Chesney for the last year and a half and being part of No Shoes Nation in an arena tour, there's nothing greater than walking up to the stadium and going, yep, this past year, I'd go anywhere. Yeah. I'm like, um, we're good. And <laughs> I had a golf cart, and my wife would travel a lot on weekends. My dog had a backstage pass. Nobody was better to us than Kenny. It was just – it was amazing. It was a That's lifestyle. Awesome. Um, yeah. But 
I enjoyed the process. And I've been really, really lucky of probably one of my strengths is breaking new artists. I mean, yeah. uh, when I first started RCA, I was lucky. As I went to RCA, and there was Alabama and Clint Black and Martina McBride. I mean, we started Sarah, but there was lots of established acts. Yeah. After that, I've generally been the guy at the new imprint for a label, starting it like you had to do with the Dixie Chicks, and boom, you hit it, you know? But yeah. the, the seeing an artist go from zero to at least first base is my favorite part of the process. Man. And there's yeah. been real shitty managers. There's been great managers. But you, being a manager, you know when the crap is being pulled over your eyes or what, it's like, "Eh, no, 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 no. We're not doing that, buddy. (laughs) Yeah. There's a – Yeah. Yeah. It's – I remember Scott Simon will shoot me, but I'll say that's because I'm going to say something good. But I remember being in L.A. underneath the forum – where Tim McGraw is about to play mm-hmm. and Tim's number was above a million that day. And Scott was leaning against the wall backstage, literally leaning on the wall on the phone. Now he works his ass off and he's a brilliant yeah. man. But me as a hustler, I'm looking, I'm going, that dude leaning on a wall is making a hundred thousand dollars today. today. <laughs> I was like, once again, my guidance counselor sucked in high school. <laughs> I did not know that was an option. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the good part about established acts, but I, I'm totally with you. I mean, there's once a McGraw gets to that level, there's not much you can do no. for for that act. But if you're you and Lee Bryce in a Ford Taurus in Oklahoma, you, you are at the yeah, ground floor, man. Yeah, the, the trick is if they still hang out with you when they get on their <laughs> yeah. ninth number one, and Lee is one of those wonderful people that yeah. I tend to get pretty close with artists I work with because I love yeah. artists, you know what I mean? So that's why I thought to maybe give an answer of what my favorite event, and I like, it's just that wouldn't be fair to – Oh, Other sure. That were at one time my favorite act that I had ever worked with. Yeah, it's it's funny. Other people in the record company used to get mad because when the artists would come in, they'd come hang out with the record guys. Yeah. And I said, well, like in case in point, the Dixie Chicks, I got somebody got mad at me and I said, I was on the road with them 29 days last month. How long, How much were you out there? And granted, our jobs are different. I'm not trying to be a schmuck, but they know us. Because, like you said, you go to war with them. You know, absolutely. now when they hit big, it's not that much. But man, when you're there every day slogging out, I mean, God, Lee Bryce, Love Like Crazy, I think was 59 weeks or something. Oh, man. Um, you know, every day he would call, hey, how we doing, Adrian? I mean, when you go through that with somebody, it's, it's a very memorable process. Yeah. And promo people live on the road and leave their families and, I've got lots of respect for that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's that, but also like, hey, Bart, I need to buy some underwear. Is there a Target close? (laughs) Yep, let's find one. There's stuff like that. I mean, like you say, you leave your family, so you got to figure out a way to live away from them. When you're out on the road in the beginning, you get up, you gather everybody in the hotel lobby, you book their flights, you make sure they get on a plane, you make sure everybody's fed for breakfast, you get to the station, you get back, you feed everybody again, you go to another station. I mean, 
you're literally, and you're doing all of that and you're still doing your job. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't think people know how much work goes on on the back end from any yeah. of the departments, but especially if you're the promo person in the field, the way we used to break records. Yeah. Well, and also like if you're the national guy or the VP and you're out there, you're also checking with all the other guys all around the nation to see what's going on. You're not just looking down the road. You're right. checking out the whole, the whole shebang. Yeah, there's, and it's, it's, Talk about thinking on your feet, man. We were in Detroit one time getting ready to go, <clears throat> excuse me, see W4 and came down with the valet. Here's my valet. They came back and they said, we can't find your car. I said, <laughs> I don't know what it was. It's a green Taurus, whatever. Right. It's not here. I go, you got to be kidding me. I said, thankfully, we just got to be up the road, but it's like 10 minutes, but we got to go. So I called a cab, went up there. Got back. I went in. I said, where's my freaking car? And they brought it around. <laughs> it had like an extra 100 miles on it and stuff. Come to find out the valet guys were taking cars home at night. <laughs> because, because, you know, we were out No, yeah. we didn't. They didn't know. We didn't know because we were down there at 530 to be on the morning show. And, well, they didn't think we were going to do that. Oh, we had – I had an artist on the road and staying in – New York, so that the bus had to park over the bridge, like out of the city. Yeah. And uh, dropped everybody off. And then we wake up and we're all in the lobby to go. And, we, and the bus driver's not there. Then we find out the bus isn't there. Then we find out the bus company hadn't been paying the driver. So he decided <laughs> to run off with everybody's gear, clothes, and the bus until he was oh, paid. Man. So. We had to put an artist in like an Uber and get him from New York City to it was it was a three hour Uber ride. Oh, man. And it may have been a limo that was big enough to actually get the band members and go. You see you, you get to see everything on the road. And you're going, How much do they owe you? Because I got some cash. Oh, they no, owe you. He was gone. He wasn't answering nothing. And it wound up the bus company called and said, We're negotiating, we'll get your stuff. I mean, he had everything, right down to the toothbrushes and underwear. There was Man. nothing to be had. Well, you you deal with again so many managers and booking agents and stuff. What are you what are you hearing about touring and shows and getting back out there? I hear I mean Everybody is hoping on the back half of this year. Yeah. But everybody was hoping on spring of this year. And yeah. the, the needle just keeps getting moved. I th there's a certain element of no matter what people are saying. I live in East Nashville. And in East Nashville, I can throw a rock and hit the house. And that person is either a musician, a songwriter, a lighting director, a truck driver, whatever it is, they're somehow connected to music. So the city's hurting. So what yeah. I hear is everybody with hope that, you know, it's going to come back faster. There's some places like Florida, Florida acts like there is no COVID, like everything's open. There's shows you can start playing down there, but the big tours until major companies that underwrite when the banks that underwrite yeah. huge stadium, you know, most people don't know, before you start a huge tour where you're going to have opening bands and other things, you've got to build the stage and do things and the infrastructure has to be built and that's millions of dollars. And then you also have to run out the stadiums and all that. So the companies that underwrite that don't know when it's safe and don't want to yeah. lose their money. So right now you have a lot of things that are being planned that 
nobody knows if, if it's really going to happen yet. So, man, and just think, I mean, the insurance on venues and, and holding up your laminated card that says you've been vaccinated and what, I mean, it's, it's yeah, just going to be a slow bill. Ryan, you don't do one at a time and see how it goes. You, you lock down 40 arenas and cities yeah. and there's, there's a huge cost of doing business. So until real business can be conducted, I don't think you see that come back. I'm excited. Somebody told me on a call yesterday, she said, man, when I go to a concert, the first girl that spills a beer on me, on my jacket because they're screaming and yelling, I'm going to hug her. I'm just going to be so happy to be back in an audience that I'm going to hug the first person that spills a beer on me that they're so excited that they played their favorite song. Man. I don't think there's a rule. You're going to see everything start to come back and there'll be one or two people take a chance and hopefully it works. Yeah. Some will go out. How about you? Who do you hear is going out on a major tour? I don't know what I've been told. <clears throat> excuse me from some of my rock and roll buddies is, is that they're being told 2022. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time for big, I, huh? For big things. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of my friends also told me, he goes, the thing of it with us is he goes, most bands are in our situation at our level. They're either going up or they're coming down, but they're at about our level. And he said, we can take our show into the Ryman. We can take our show into any 3,000 seat theater in the world. This Motley Crue, Poison, Def Leppard show, they can't do that. Journey can't do that with a show. You know, none of those kind of bands can look, strip their show down enough to go into a small place. So we might get, so hopefully we'll breathe some life into some of these smaller venues first. Well, they need it. Those venues need it. And there is artists that absolutely need it. So, I mean, you're going to see those that, that have to get yeah. in really because they literally have to, to feed their families and, and their team and their bands in that. But most of the ones that can't scale down in all honesty, and I say this respectfully also don't need the money to eat. Right. You know? No, you're right. Yeah. They, you know, they can take a year off and, yeah. and be fine. The a lot people of the, on my street that live on my block, they, they, you know, they're not on salary from anybody. No, it's 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 bleak times. I mean, yeah. they can't wait to tour. Man. Yeah, it's 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 hard, man. In live streaming, it is there, but you know, you have a lot. It's hard to monetize live streaming. I'm a huge fan of live streaming. Yeah, I believe live streaming is going to be a tool that lives alongside real touring. Think about it now. If you sell out an arena and you can now make live streaming tickets available from your arena show for people that would never be able to get to see the show and make that ancillary money. You can do special meet and greets that way. There's things you can do like Billie Eilish that she's using live streaming where you do things with augmented reality and artistic things by using technology that you can't do live. So you can offer somebody this really creative, cool, you know, show that happens. So I I believe that we will see live streaming still have a life and it's still in its infancy of what it's going to grow up to be. How does a band do? Because I saw some band was doing that and they had the special package for a, a meet and greet, but they also had a, a special after show backstage 
thing? What, what, how do they do that? Um, oh, you, there's so much. Now you're getting to where like, this is my shit that I like. Right. The new stuff. Um, I've looked at over 20, 30 live streaming things. I've always wondered why Live Nation or the big guys didn't jump in and do something first. I think there was a hope that this was actually just going to go away and they yeah. wouldn't have to. But now I saw, I believe Live Nation bought Veeps. And Veeps is a company that was set up by um, hmm. the Good Charlotte guys. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Benji and... I can't. Yeah. I was going to say Benji and and I couldn't come up with the name. But So they got a deal. Veeps started as a VIP meet and greet kind of deal where you could meet people through the phone, personalized, one-on-one, kind of like the way that, is it Cameo? Wasn't that the app where you can get messages personalized from? Um, yep. they, they came up with a great hybrid model for live streaming shows, but beforehand you can have a party, a group party with hardcore fans. You could go in the waiting room before the show and buy merch and do things. Now, hmm. I don't know if Veeps does all this, but when you take all the different things companies are doing, you got a pre-show, you're waiting before the show, and up is exclusive merch from that day only or special <laughs> things, and they're monetizing that. Then you're monetizing the ticket. Then you're monetizing a meet and greet. And then you're doing a monetization of a super meet and greet. You might have paid $20 for the show and $50 for a meet and greet, but somebody paid $500 for a meet and greet, and the artist sang an acoustic song with just the two, whatever it is. Man. People are getting really, really creative hmm. on using all of those tools. That's crazy. Well, I mean, hey, you know what? If it's that or nothing, then I well, guess I let's think go. you'll see that with until COVID is really – if you're an artist, you can't get sick from yeah. a fan. Even though you love that fan and yeah. they brought this money to the show and they're at the show, you'll probably see artists do virtual meet and greets yeah. you know, in the beginning of getting out there. Because if you're if right, artists, if Luke Bryan gets sick, every the whole show goes home. Nobody's, yeah. you know, pack it up. The tour is over. Man, that's a lot to think about, man. I'm glad we have people like you doing that and no, coming just, up with these ideas. To me, I just read what people. I'm a. I love podcasts and blogs and books and <laughs> there's people. There's really, really smart people that tell us what's happening. And it's, it's a, I love that part of any business. It's yeah. Well, do you want to do my thinking and drinking lightning round? Let's do it. You might want to take, you might want to take a sip. 1792. Basically, I'm just going to fire a question. And first thing that pops into your head, say it. What's your favorite book? Tribes. Okay. Are you a bath or a shower guy? <laughs> shower. I don't think I fit in a bathtub. <laughs> Being hard on yourself. What's the last gift you gave someone? Oh, um, a virtual reality headset to my wife. Oh, cool. Yeah. So she can fly drones without leaving the couch. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. What's the first concert you saw? How old were you? And did you get a t-shirt? I don't. I went to so many concerts. I'm going to guess. I went to concerts as a kid. I had hippie parents. So like oh, I yeah. think when, my first real concert that I can remember is 
I'm 16. It's Richfield Coliseum in Cleveland. I'm seeing Rush and Triumph may have opened. Oh, nice. And I thought Rush was three girls because my seats were way in the back. I didn't know. <laughs> the voices were real high. And, uh, a lot of and hair. The T-shirt. It was a, <laughs> seeing Rush at the Richfield Coliseum, if you were from Cleveland, was a rite of passage. It was Man. Well, dude, they did that last live DVD from Cleveland. It's, well, that's well, MMS, the same guy that offered to kill me. Yeah, uh, yeah. For records. He's still alive and working at SiriusXM and is an awesome dude. Thank you, kid Leo. Amen. Uh, yeah, he, he discovered them and Bruce Springsteen and broke Bon Jovi a lot broke out of WMMS. Yeah. Uh, so that I is my – I did actually remember, and I drove a Ford Bronco. There we go. I remember everything about that night. All the way from Oklahoma with Lee Bryce. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if money was no object, would there be a drum kit you'd buy? Yes. What would it be? It would be a, a DW drum kit. I've okay. got a pretty cool drum set, but I've never owned a DW, and I really, really would love a good maple DW kit. So you wouldn't try to buy, like, like what I was thinking is last time I was oh, but at I that, went Van Halen's drum set? Yeah. You, you know, you saw Alex's kit that was in the Hall of Fame for a long time. It went for 275 grand. I mean, would you try well, to it do, used to do its own tour? You paid to go sit behind it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, would you do they, something like that or get something from that Bonzo used to own or something or Ringo Starr? I own a snare that was made by Fortune Drum Company that Kevin Valentine gave me, who was the drummer with Donny Iris. And the wow. snare had been used on Alia and something mm-hmm. else. It also was used on Owner of a Lonely Heart somehow and on some Kiss records. Really? This guy that made the custom drum. So my actual snare drum does have a a legacy. So I'm really the snare drum I have is awesome. What else would you want? Like Bonham's kick drum or something? Yeah. Well, there's know. a guy here in town who invented the the magnetic stripe on credit cards. Yeah. And he's got one of Bonzo's kits. It's the orange oh. plexi kit. That would make me feel horrible because then I would know that I really could never sound like Bonham because I'm on that kit trying to fucking drop that triplet and make it work. Be like, nope. Cause I always, at least now in my head, be like, Oh, if I, if I had it mic'd and I had the same drum, I could sound just like that. I could do that. It would ruin my fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I just want, I want my own DW kit. All right. So here's another favorite kid. What's, what's the favorite song you ever worked and why? Mm, man, man. So I can't remember. We did go with Dark Horse with Devin Dawson. Okay. I had I had a demo of that song, knowing Devin before we went for that. That my wife will tell you. I came home every day. It existed in one computer here at the house. I would come in. I wouldn't pet the dog or say hello to her. I ran to the computer. <laughs> And I would play that three minutes and listen to Dark Horse every single day. And I'd listen to it 40 times a day. I'd come in all the time. I was like, if you don't stop doing that. So I somehow connected hard with that. The song that I remember the most where as a promo person, we get fired if we don't get a record played. When I heard Martina McBride's Broken Wing, Mm. I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. 
Uh, I, I still remember actually sitting in a room and then playing the song and going, here's your single. And you're just like, yep. I love it. But those are, those are two song memories and artist memories. Man. See, Martine is one that when I was working with her, she needed some girl thing to right. dress. And so we found a mall and found a Victoria's Secret and she was headed in. She goes, and I was just hugging the railing outside. She goes, <laughs> she goes are, are you coming in? No, 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 I'm fine. No, nope. no, I'm fine. I'll, I'll, just be, be right, I'll be right out here. <laughs> it was one of those deals. So what do you think you would be doing if you weren't doing this? I'd be doing this. I've yeah. never had it. Like, it's the only thing I grew up with parents that loved music. My memory is a living room. We didn't have much money, man, but there was a beanbag kind of thing to lay on. And there was this giant console where you put the album in and big yep. speakers or whatever. And everybody in my family that we, un you, you listen to records and I'd read every liner note. And I mean, I'd read the side, like I've been fascinated with music my whole life and then yeah. decided that I've never done anything. I've done other things to support myself if music wasn't making me yeah. money to support myself. But I'm like, from man, that's all I have ever done. Yeah, that's awesome. So what are you listening to for fun these days? I, I knew you might ask me this, so I had to think really hard. Um, I am loving Scott Borchetta's band, Bad Flower. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like, I will turn on the Rock This playlist and then go, and when something really catches my ear, I just jump to that band and I binge them. I just yeah. go nonstop. So that's a new thing that I'm doing. Like their new song, like 30, this is their, whatever, whatever that is, the video and the song are just, I love it when it's doing. Um, the Glorious Sons as a rock band, they're kind of quiet right now. I don't know if they put anything new out, but. I used to listen to an hour or two a day of their music. Just, I listen, I'm like you. I listen to a lot of rock, man. Yeah. Well, I always found that if I was working country, at the end of the day, I wanted to – it was like eating sushi. I needed a palate cleanser. So I would listen to Pantera or something. And then the next morning, love, love country music Pantera. was fresh again, you know? Dude, there's so it many – uh, I've been binging The Faces with uh, – Oh, Curtis Jones. I heard ooh la la on a commercial or something. And then somehow a tidbit came up that Kenny was the drummer. And I didn't know Kenny was the drummer. And I was like going, I want to hear him play drums. Cause I always thought that was Carmine Apache playing on a couple of those songs. Oh, back yeah. And it wasn't. And I started going through this record and I was going, Holy crap. Were these guys good? Yeah. Now that's, there's another reason I want touring. And that to was come in the new faces. I think with the version with Kenny that I was listening to. Was Ronnie Wood in that? Yeah. Okay. Ronnie Wood, Rod, Kenny Jones, and I, was, I can't remember the bass player. Oh, it was, was a, I think it was like an, an Asian dude that was the bass player in it back then. Was it? Because in one of those, Paige played guitar and Ronnie Wood played bass. Uh, that, so that might have been Faces. And then, yeah, I know the new Faces is the one I was just Okay. Up. And, no, but man, all over. Uh, that's another reason. Really classic Dwight Yoakam. I love Dwight Yoakam B sides. Yeah, we're there all day long. We listen to Stapleton all day long. 
if if it's people that I work with and you hear me not saying your name, know that I love the living <laughs> shit out of you and I listen to music, but it's work. So like I have to unplug and listen to something. So I, I rarely tend to mention things that I really like that I'm working because I tell people the guy at Ford does not go home. If he puts the nuts on the bolt on the tire, he does not sit at home at the coffee table and put nuts on the bolts. He finds something else to do. <laughs> Amy asked me one time, she goes, how come you don't play guitar when you get home? And I go, do you think the carpenter comes home and pounds nails? No. <laughs> it's a freaking tool at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're lucky enough to play the guitar. For <laughs> exactly. So what's next for you, man? I mean, I'm really, really digging my new home with, with awesome. the, having the chance to do the innovation. Like I've done what I've done for 30 years on Music Row and, yeah. and I'm lucky to still be alive and doing it and enjoy it. Um, but everything is changing, I think. And not just music, no matter what you're doing, it's changing from self-driving trucks and cars to, you know, I was, I was reading an interesting thing today of how China owns 90% of all the battery infrastructure. And mm. that if, unless we want to be tied to Chinese control of batteries, right. if, if electric vehicles, which we're going to go from 2% of people using them to 10% in the next mm. two and a half years, I think. So you're going to see a huge boom in people making batteries and mining, doing all that stuff. I mean, everybody's life is changing. So it's, it's really interesting to take what I've done my entire career and then look at best practices from everybody else going through change and figure out how do we do yeah. that. I mean, you know, I don't code. I don't, I barely type. I mean, it's, but I read this shit out of stuff and study stuff and you can figure out, okay, if that's how they're doing it. Let's apply that to what we do. And yeah. uh, I just, I'm stoked to be my age and working innovation in the music business. Dude, that's awesome. That's awesome. I wish you had another life so you could do that in other areas and make, because I, I got some ideas of where you'd be good. <laughs> but, so what, what, uh, what kind of social media, or as I call it, anti-social media, do you, do you have? Um. I, no, man, I am, I am primitive when I have Instagram, right. I have Twitter, but because I'm a 57 year old guy and I'm not selling my brand, like, yeah. so I don't have to spread out to younger audience and stuff. It's like, I know who I'm dealing with. They yep. know me like the Kenny Chesney rule. I know my people. They know me. <laughs> I, I am an old fashioned man. I'm a Facebooker. Yep. When I'm doing it, um, I I had a GM for a company one time tell me, I'd run in his office every day, oh, my God, Apple's doing this, and this is doing this. And he's like, son, we sell 90% of all of our records at Walmart, so I need you to spend 90% of your time dealing with Walmart, yep. and then in the other 10% of the time, go play with these other 80 things. So yep. currently, that works for me. Shoot, yeah, um, man. I mainly I love morning boat like and there's a, a little I don't know I wouldn't call it a blog a, what do you call like a morning magazine that pops up that's very specialized like do you ever read the hustle yes 
Yeah, I get that. I don't know what. About five or six things that I get. Like I, I love finance stuff. I love trends. That mm-hmm. I spend, I spend probably the first hour of my morning reading and like globally trends and other things. So I more ingest social media and yeah. media. I don't put a lot out because I don't. I'm not selling my brand. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, man, I've taken up a lot of your time. Thank oh, you. It was great to connect. We, so we much. Dude, I'm so happy for you. I'm so proud of you. I'm, I'm thankful to call you a friend. I know we don't see each other very often, but I just, I love the so crap we'll, out we'll of you. And, that. We need to, yeah, well, once we get vaccinated, uh, we'll, oh, uh, yeah. we'll hang more. It's on. Give your wife a hug, please. I will. You also give some love back to Amy. Awesome seeing you. And uh, I'm going to go sit and hang out with the dog. All right. Give me a Netflix show. I'm out of Netflix shows. Dude, we've been uh, binging all the English uh, cop shows. English cop shows. Kim wants to watch Bridgerton. Shelton, Bridgerton. Yeah. uh, uh, Shetland is good. Uh, Broadchurch is good. There's a lot of those kind of things. Is that on Netflix? Yeah. I'll find it there. Or or BritBox or it's one of those. Amy Amy controls. I don't know. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I'll see you, bro. Love you, man. Love you. Bye. Bye.